Hello, I'm Joshua Groisberg, a history enthusiast. And I'm Jacob Friedman, founder of People's Big News. And this is Gen Zero's Talk Politics. This is where two members of the next generation of American adults talk about what's going on in the world. Since the whole world is on fire, we might as well take a crack at delivering some insightful analysis and maybe some comedy along the way. We would like to welcome back David Delaney, a student at the University of Vermont and writer in history and politics. We will discuss the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine, its impacts worldwide, and what can be done about it. David, welcome back to the show. It's good to be back, Joshua. My first question is, just to put things into context, what is the general update on the invasion? How far have Russian forces gone in terms of territory, and how is Ukraine holding up? Well, over the last almost two weeks now, we've seen a very, um, I would say, a vastly different campaign than what uh, President Putin and his advisors expected. I think it was not last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before that, a night when the Russian missiles were launched in the first wave of air assault. And Putin gave his his speech authorizing a, quote unquote, special military operation. And since then, the Russians, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many more people who are more experienced in um, tactics, strategy and military affairs than myself, the Russians have been humiliated. It's pretty clear to everybody that Putin and his advisors expected a short lightning war through a quick assault on the capital of Kiev. Uh, from Belarus, and they would install a new government and the fighting quickly. Uh, that has not happened. Instead, what we have is a long, drawn-out campaign in which the Russians, despite attacking from essentially three different fronts, failed to take any major strategic points, and the Ukrainian government looks as if it could continue fighting indefinitely. Essentially, there are three main theaters of the conflict. There's the fighting in the south, the Russians have controlled Crimea since 2014 when they, you know, uh, illegally annexed it. They attacked from Crimea in the south. They attacked from Donbass and from the Russian border in the northeast. And they attacked from Belarus, which is essentially a Russian client state. From the east, they've made some uh, inroads and they've taken some losses. In the north, from Belarus, they made an attack on Kyiv. Uh, there were initial reports that the capital may fall a few days after the invasion. I recall Bloomberg reported, oh, Kyiv may fall tonight. It did not. Kyiv looks as if it will stand for the foreseeable immediate future. In the south, they've the Russians have made stronger inroads. They've taken the city of Kherson. They've taken the city of uh, Melitopol. But I, I caution our listeners a little bit because you see these maps where the Russians have taken vast swaths of territory. If you look at these maps, essentially, the, they've been colored in red. Those are really misleading. The Russians do not exert control over those swaths of territory. That's merely the extent of where their soldiers have advanced. A more accurate map would show you that the Russians really don't control that territory. In many cases, they advance far, but there are still towns behind them that are still in Ukrainian control, major cities. In fact, the Russians have been bypassing cities entirely due to their, their inability to conduct effective urban warfare and the very resolute and dedicated nature of the Ukrainians fighting in those cities. So the Russians, in many cases, have turned to extensive, what, they're, what are really war crimes. They're indiscriminately destroying cities. They've been in the city of Mariupol. They've even, they've agreed to uh, civilian evacuations. They've gone back on those deals and indiscriminately attacked civilian targets. Clearly, they know they can't win. This war isn't won in a short war. So they are using 
terror tactics to, to try and cow the Ukrainian people into submission. And, but even behind Russian lines, even in the open fields of Ukraine, the people and the farmers constantly ambushing Russian forces. It's a nightmare for the Russian army in Ukraine. Right. And you spoke about Putin making these military decisions and when in terms of the invasion of Ukraine. Putin has surrounded himself with yes-men and isn't held accountable for his decisions in the Kremlin. He has complete control. Is there anything that anybody can do to stop his ambitions and his plans? And if so, what would those methods be? Well, Putin has been in power for 22 years. In that time, he's consolidated his control over the Russian state. He has surrounded himself with yes-men. He might have believed his own power propaganda that the Ukrainians really was, were going to surrender and lay down their weapons, which has not been the case. You've had more Russians uh, laying down their weapons and refusing to fight their brothers and sisters in Ukraine than Ukrainians surrendering and complying with the Russian aggressors. What can be done in Russia to stop Putin? Well, you have waves of very courageous Russian protest this immoral and aggressive war. But within the Kremlin, well, Putin still relies on the circle of oligarchs. He, no man rules alone, not even Vladimir Putin. If enough people of his, of those who surround him, of those oligarchs, of his, um, of the, of the military establishment turn against him, then he could be removed. If if the Russian economy, which is currently headed in a, a downward spiral, I believe they kept the stock market closed all week because if they open it, it'll be calamitous. The the ruble is a disaster. They the prices of daily commodities have gone up. It's not just the official sanctions, but the private sanctions as well. Companies that aren't doing business in Russia, I believe it was Visa the other day, no more operations in Russia. Maersk, the giant, the shipping giant, no more business in Russia. So I believe if the if the oligarchs who surround Putin and the security establishment, which he's surrounded himself with for 22 years, turns against him, then he could fall. But the, the politics of the Kremlin is highly opaque. And if something happens, I don't believe we'll know about it till it's fully transpired. Now, the Western world, they're seizing oligarchs' assets. They're freezing bank accounts. They're really restricting oligarchs financially from all corners of the world. Do you believe, even though Putin has been able to consolidate his power and exert control over everything, that oligarchs could actually rise up against him? Well, I think so. I think if the oligarchs, uh, the elite in Russia, combined with the security establishment, Putin comes from the security establishment. He was a KGB man during the Cold War. He's since um, surrounded himself many ex-KGB officers. The ruling establishment in Russia is, is a lot of ex-KGB guys, Putin's personal friends from those days. Look, if they turn against him because they think he's destroying Russia, then I think he could be removed. I would not want to comment further on things that I'm not entirely aware of, but I believe, yes, if there if there's a sufficient movement among security establishment and the, um, the elite in Russia, yes, I believe Putin could be removed from the inside. And I believe that would be the right thing to do for Russia. It makes me very upset to see where Russia's headed. Putin seems to intent on driving Russia into the abyss for a delusional vision of an old empire. And that, that really makes me upset. It's really depressing. As someone who in really care, who's into Russian scholarship and history and culture and music, it's very depressing. Hope I would hope that the entire system that's governed Russia, the oligarchic, kleptocratic, uh, system of gross inequality and uh, authoritarianism would all come crumbling down. I would settle for the removal of Putin and the end to his um, his criminal war. I want to turn now to measures that could be taken by NATO and by the United States. So something that has been that is currently being discussed is the question of whether NATO should institute a no-fly zone over the Ukrainian airspace. Vladimir Putin said that this would be an equivalent to a declaration of war and participation in armed conflict. 
Do you think NATO should actually pursue this option? I think we should take Putin seriously. I think a no-fly zone would be the wrong move. Enforcing a no-fly zone. I see no reason why the Russian Air Force would acquiesce to a no-fly zone. What would happen is we would be forced to shoot down Russian planes and kill Russian pilots, which would be a major escalation, which would probably lead to a war with Russia, which could also potentially lead to global thermonuclear exchange and the end of life as we know it. I believe we should not play footsie with war with Russia. If we're at war with Russia, that makes nuclear war very likely. That's not an option that I want to even remotely approach. Uh, a no-fly zone, and I understand uh, President Zelensky is pushing very hard for this, a no-fly zone would be not only bad for the world if there's a war with Russia, but it would be terrible for Ukraine, which would be left utterly destroyed. But here's what we can do, which Zelensky has also proposed. What the Ukrainian Air Force needs right now is jets. Now, it's shocking to me that the Ukrainian Air Force is still flying. Putin's first attack were against air defense systems and against airports. Now, the Russians claimed erroneously, and I had initially believed, that the Ukrainian Air Force had been wiped out on the ground. I believe we did something similar to Saddam's Air Force when we attacked Iraq. And we did. We destroyed his Air Force. And then we had complete air superiority going forward. We air supremacy going forward. The Russians claimed they did the same. They were wrong. Their intelligence was outdated, and it was wrong. And the Ukrainian Air Force still flies. But they can't fly for much longer without support. So what we can do is initiate a fighter jet exchange program with our NATO allies in Eastern Europe. So Ukrainian pilots are only trained in ex-Soviet aircraft. So if we sent in F-16s to the Ukrainians, not only would the Russians perceive it as an escalation, but uh, the Ukrainians wouldn't, would take time to actually train to fly those aircraft. And we don't have time for that. So what we can do is ask our Polish, uh, Slovakian, Czech, and Hungarian allies to send over their ex-Soviet craft to Ukraine. And the Ukrainians could start flying them right away. And what we'll do is reimburse those allies, who are, of course, very reasonably concerned about Russian aggression against their countries at this time, reimburse them with F-16s. Not only will we be modernizing the air forces of our allies in Eastern Europe, but we'll give the Ukrainians the weapons they need to defend themselves and not only defend themselves on a military theater, but protect their people from the war criminal bombings that are being ordered by Vladimir Putin against civilian targets. On the topic of uh, leadership, President Zelensky, he has been praised for his skills as a wartime leader. Do you believe that, and I think you may have touched on this earlier, do you believe that he has truly broken Russia's military ambitions? Or do you think that regardless of Ukraine's efforts, Russia will eventually prevail and take the capital and country? My first thing to say is that it's incredible uh, what President Zelensky's done. Now, I didn't hold a very high opinion of President Zelensky before the invasion. I was in, I was very suspicious from his election, uh, the election of a comedian in, a, in Ukraine where they need serious, prepared leadership. I was concerned that he wasn't preparing the country for an attack, that he didn't believe that an attack was imminent until it was essentially too late. But since then, he has been exactly the leader Ukraine expected. He has not only been a symbol for the world, but he's united the country against the Russian aggression. And that's remarkable. And I think he should be commended for that. And I think he'll be, I think he's written himself into Ukrainian legend, no matter what the outcome of the conflict is. But uh, on the outcome of the conflict, I'll say this, Ukraine will win. Russia will never hold Ukraine. The, the Ukrainian people are armed to the teeth and they are united against this aggression and they will eventually win. That said, I don't know how long that will take. I still believe Russia is likely to win a conventional military victory. 
at least in Eastern and Central Ukraine. That said, I don't even know about that anymore. I thought I treated it as a certainty uh, even last week. Now I can't say for sure. And I'm sure by the time this episode is aired, things will have changed. But still, the front is more or less static. The Ukrainians have defended their capital and actually pushed back the Russians in certain areas. The Ukrainians hold all major cities, almost all major cities in Ukraine. The Russian supply networks are a mess. They're incapable of supplying their troops. Reports say that they're running short on food and fuel. The Russian logistics are a mess. You talk about strategy and tactics, but what really matters is logistics. If the Russians can't feed their troops, if the Russians can't get fuel into their tanks, they'll be their entire offensive will grind into a halt. And it looks like that may already be happening. I think that whether Ukraine wins a conventional victory that forces Russia out of most of the country in some time is possible, perhaps. But I know that even if Ukraine loses this war conventionally and the capital falls and Putin installs a puppet in Kiev, that eventually the Ukrainian people will expel him. He'll have to keep an army there to enforce his puppet rule. They'll throw that out eventually. It is a question of time. As for Russia's grander military ambitions, I think the Russian army has been humiliated in front of the entire world. I don't think that Russian invasion of Finland or of the Baltics or of Poland should be a major concern right now. I think based on their their performance in Ukraine, we should not be terrified of Russia's army rolling over Europe at the moment. And not that I believe that that's going to happen or that's possible. I don't think Russia's going to attack any other countries. I think they're too bogged down in Ukraine to do that. And I don't want to fear monger about a potential larger war that I don't think will happen. But uh, in any case, I'll commend President Zelensky for his performance in this time of war. I think he's dispelled any doubts I had about his ability to lead. Well, Putin shows no signs of backing down. So do you believe that Putin would be willing to escalate this conflict further? Or do you think, considering what you just mentioned about the Russian army being humiliated and their logistics being extremely poor, do you think de-escalating the situation would actually be in his best interest? In Putin's interest, I think that he should never have invaded the entirety of the country to begin with. The Russian economy is destroyed. Not only did the sanctions regime that they were planning was it devastating, but the sanctions regime that, that's actually been enacted, which was far greater, I think, than Putin expected. Because not only have they cut Russia off from SWIFT, but they've seized the assets of the central bank. Nearly every private company on earth is no longer doing business with Russia. Maersk, like I said before, Visa, I think uh, BP and Shell as well. Uh, it's devastating for the Russian economy. The rubles collapsed. The Russian economy me is heading to places we haven't seen before. Price of food in Russia has gone up very high. Domestic discontent has risen among the people. Despite their control over information, which is escalating, by the way, Russia, is, people talk about Russia being a dictatorship before. It's headed straight into North Korea territory. I mean, Russians had Netflix. They had Facebook. They had Twitter. Those things are all gone. Russia is isolating itself from the world and they are clamping down on the flow of information because they know that if Russian people know about what's happening in Ukraine, about the war crimes against their against Ukrainians who they're very close to, they have many relatives in both countries, many split families in both countries. If they know about the war crimes, if they know about the failures of the invasion, then more and more Russians will turn against Putin. So they've clamped down on information. So I think Putin, in his best interest, he should absolutely withdraw because this is a mess for, for a Putin regime because there's no future in which Ukraine becomes a compliant puppet state like Belarus. There's no future in which Ukraine will acquiesce to Russian rule indefinitely. There's no future in which the Ukrainian people lay down their weapons. And the, the best interest of Russia is to throw out Putin and his entire gang of criminals and restore peace in Eastern Europe, because the Russian people have nothing to gain from this war but misery. I really think for Russia, the best thing to do if Putin has any care for, for his country would be to immediately end the war and resign. But that's not going to happen. And finally, is there anything that our viewers listening here can do to support the Ukrainian people in this war? Well, I think there's a lot of demonstrations that are going on. That's the easiest thing you can do. 
I went to one in Burlington the other day. And when I was in Montreal this weekend, I wasn't able to attend, but I witnessed a demonstration there, a massive demonstration. So what you can do is support local Ukrainian, pro-Ukraine and anti-war demonstrations in your in your locality or city. What you can also do is donate to the UNHCR or to, I don't know, the International Rescue Foundation or um, any humanitarian organization that is credible and that is promising to deliver humanitarian aid to the people of Ukraine or that will um, support Ukrainian refugees. You can support lawmakers who will pledge to admit refugees. My governor in Vermont, Phil Scott, has already pledged to admit as many Ukrainian refugees as the State Department will send his way. If you're up to it, there are also foundations to support the Ukrainian army, to put give them the weapons they need to fight back on the Russians. If you don't want to do that, I understand. Not everyone exactly wants to finance uh, arms, but you can finance humanitarian and medical supplies. The cost of this invasion is on everybody in Ukraine. The civilian casualties are mounting. They're destroying cities. When this war is over, Ukraine will need the resources to rebuild their country. I encourage everyone to donate to the Ukrainian relief funds because I think that will um, will put the Ukrainians in the best position to defend themselves and to care for their people. David Delaney, thanks so much for joining us here today. It was uh, very nice to have you. Thank you for speaking about Ukraine. And we once again wish the Ukrainian people great success in fighting off this aggression, that they are victorious and that they're able to, like you mentioned, rebuild their country when this is all over. Thanks, Joshua. I I really appreciate being here, especially talking about such an issue of such salience and importance. And that concludes this episode of Gen Zero's Talk Politics. Be sure to join our Discord server, follow us on Instagram at Gen Zero's Talk Politics, and on Twitter at Gen Zero's Talk Poly, with an I, and add or email us to ask your burning questions. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you next time.